This morning, I am in week six of a sermon series that I've entitled Revival, and my hope in this sermon series has been to lead us to a deeper experience of God, that God would give us greater spiritual life, both individually and collectively as a church, and that through us, he would bring his salvation and redemption to the world. Amen? That's, that's our prayer. And earlier in this series, I had talked about what uh, Richard Lovelace, who was a, a, a theologian, a professor at Gordon-Conwell, where I went to school, um, in one of his books, he talked about two precursors of revival. He said, revival, traditionally throughout history, is precursor, the precursors to that, the preconditions, tend to be in a, a deeper awareness of the holiness of God and a deeper awareness of the depth of sin, both individually and collectively. That those kind of two things tend to lead people to a deeper spiritual life and deeper revival. And last week, I looked at uh, the first line of the Sermon on the Mount, which Dwayne read earlier, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and how essential it is to revival, that awareness of the depth of our sin, that we come to God empty, recognizing that we have nothing to offer, that we are spiritually bankrupt before him, completely dependent upon him for everything. And as we come empty, we put ourselves in position to be filled by his spirit and by his life. That word blessed, you know, it's a very Christian word, obviously, it just means God's favor, God's approval is on you. That God's favor and approval is on those who are spiritually poor. Those who come recognizing they have nothing to offer. They don't have any spiritual resume with which to present to God to say, look at me, you should bless me because of all I've done. But they recognize they have nothing to offer God. And they're completely dependent upon his grace and his mercy. That that's where revival happens. And today I want to look at the second line of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 4, which is this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. At first glance, when you read that, you're probably thinking of those who are grieving the death of a loved one, who are mourning something that's happened in this world, and where there's an aspect of that, I don't think that's primarily what Jesus had in mind, that he's talking on a spiritual level here. You know, when he talks about poverty and spirit, he's not talking about materially poor. He's talking about being poor in spirit. When he talks about mourning, it's not just that you're crying because you lost your grandmother, but there's something deeper, some spiritual mourning that he's talking about. So I want to explain that. And I want to just encourage you and ask you one thing as we begin. Ready? I'm going to ask you one thing. You know how sometimes you listen to a sermon, you're like, oh, I hope he's listening, you know, or I wish she was here to hear this. Resist that urge. This is for you this morning, okay? It's just you. It's just God speaking, hopefully, through me, to your heart. And so prepare your heart to hear what the Lord has to say this morning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, there's a a logical progression of the Beatitudes. He's not just throwing out, like, you know, a bunch of different sayings here. It's a logical progression that we come to God poor in spirit, recognizing that we are empty, we have nothing to offer, we're spiritually bankrupt. And then from transitioning from that, <clears throat> excuse me, to blessed are those who mourn, it's a recognition that we're not just, you know, it's not a cold hard fact that we're poor in spirit. But there's an emotional component to it as we come recognizing that we have nothing to offer, that we cannot stand on our own before a holy God, that we are completely dependent upon everything, that we are poor in spirit, that he transitions that into an emotional experience of that. <clears throat> in some way, there's going to be mourning. There's going to be tears. There's going to be weeping that accompanies that understanding that we are poor in spirit. That God's favor and approval is upon those who mourn their sin. 
who recognize it's not just I'm poor in spirit, but what that actually means, that I have nothing to offer God. So what does it mean to mourn our sin? What does it mean to mourn our spiritual poverty? What would it look like to be brought to tears by your sin? And by sin, I mean there's a few levels to sin. Sin can be an outright rebellion against God that God says do not steal and you decide to steal anyways. It can be just a falling short of God's standard that God has called us to love him with our whole heart, soul, and mind, love our neighbors, ourselves, and we just fall short every day. It can also just be that brokenness, that twistedness inside of us that no matter how hard we try, we just still can't seem to get over our sin nature because there's a lot of aspects to sin. But what does it mean to mourn our sin, to, to feel the emotional weight of sin in our lives? to truly weep over the ramifications of our sin and our relationship with others and with God. There's a great book, one of my favorite books of prayer, if you've ever heard of this book. It's called The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. And the Puritans, you know, hundreds of years ago, have, have a, a different vocabulary than we do and a different perspective. But one of the prayers, part of a prayer that I wanted to mention this morning, I love this, it says, Searcher of hearts, it is a good day to me when thou givest me a glimpse of myself. Sin is my greatest evil, but thou art my greatest good. I have cause to loathe myself and not to seek self-honor, for no one desires to commend his own dunghill. My country, family, church, fare worse because of my sins. Mm. It's going to be a miracle if I make it through this sermon. That last line there just slayed me this week. Again, he's not saying, you know, my country, my family, my church fare worse because of me. You know, like George Bailey in It's a Wonderful Life saying, I, I, it's as if I should never have been born. You know, it would have been better if I were never here. It's not what he's saying. But he is saying that my sin has consequences. And this world, this church, my family, fare worse because of my sins. That my sins, my inability to measure up to what God has called me to be, my rebellion against God, my poor decisions, my brokenness has had an impact on others, a negative impact. They fare worse because of my sins. I began serving this church back in 2006. Raise your hand if you were here back in 2006, a few of you. I was 30 years old. Recognize this guy? I did such a stellar job in my first couple years as a pastor that we had to hire an outside mediator to come in after only a couple years because I had made such a mess of things as a leader. And we had to have this mediator come in to try to work with myself, with the leaders, the elders, our families, to try to, try to untangle the mess that we had made. And my sins in particular, particularly my, my struggle with communication, with dealing with conflict in a healthy way, had threatened to destroy the church, threatened to destroy my family. People were left wounded because of my poor leadership. And somehow we made it through by God's grace. Somehow I'm still standing here completely by the grace of God. But that last line holds true. My country, my family, my church fare worse because of my sins. And that line is not meant to say, oh, you know, it wasn't such a big deal. Don't be so hard on yourself. It's not meant to elicit pity or sympathy or anything like that. It's just a statement of fact that our sins and my sins have negative consequences on those around me, on those around us. 
you know, those of you sitting out here, you have no idea how many times my wife has had to pick herself up off the mat over the last 17 years to get back on her feet, to come back in to serve out of her love for me, out of her love for the church, out of her devotion to God. Not looking for honor, not looking for recognition, just serving. You know, sometimes I look back on my journal and what I wrote through those years. It's a very painful process. I do that every couple of years, and I'll just start to read back on the things that I wrote. Not because I want to, you know, feel bad, but because I want to remember. I want to remember just the effects of my sin so that hopefully I will not do them again. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who understand the depth of their sin, who see the destruction it has caused in their own life, the lives of others, who don't just acknowledge it and confess it like it's a cold, hard fact, but grieve it, who are moved to tears by it, and then who are ultimately brought to repentance and reconciliation. As they come up vowing to be different, to come empty to God, to be filled by his spirit and his power, you know, I regularly do marriage counseling, and one of the important goals in marriage counseling, from my perspective as I see it, is to encourage spouses to listen to each other, to resist the urge to get defensive, to argue back, to prove the other person wrong, but to truly listen to how they have hurt their spouse. As uncomfortable as it may be, as much as it might hurt to not look away, to not rationalize, to not minimize, to not blame shift, to not try to explain it away, but to shut your mouth and humbly listen until you understand the depth of how your sin has hurt the one you love. Why? Is that, is that just so you'll feel bad about yourself? No. It's that blessed are those who mourn, who understand the depth of their sin. They will be comforted. They will find peace. They will find reconciliation. That you have to go through mourning in order to find peace, to find comfort. Sin has consequences, not just for ourselves, but for others, and sometimes for generations, sadly. That a self-centered decision to disobey God, to choose what you think is right, not what God says is right, can set into motion a chain reaction that affects children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Think about David in 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 2. In the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. It's a lot in those two verses. David is the king, and he's supposed to be out on the battleground with his army, but he decides to stay in Jerusalem. And then there's that little line there, one evening he got up from his bed. I don't know what he was up to, but apparently he's getting out of bed pretty late in the day here goes out on the roof and sees a woman bathing. And if you know what happened after that, he takes that woman, he sleeps with that woman, he impregnates that woman, and then he has the woman's husband killed. And that just sets off a chain reaction that impacts generations. 
His family falls apart. Within two generations, the whole kingdom of Israel is split in a northern and southern kingdom. In his family, there's rape and incest and betrayal and insurrection, exile. All because he made this decision not to go where he was supposed to go. To put himself in a position he shouldn't have been in. Sin has consequences in your life, in others' life, sometimes for generations. And if that isn't enough cause for mourning, it's not just about what it does to us and others. That we know that it's our sin that led Jesus to die on the cross. That his death on the cross is not some emotional act like God paid your parking ticket for you. No, this is agony, betrayal, love, passion, heartache, grace, all wrapped up into one unfathomable act done for you to rescue you to pay for your sins to die in your place blessed are those who mourn not just for their own sin and how it's affected them how it's affected those they love but also how their sin nailed Jesus to the cross how it was your sin that held him there caused the son of God the innocent son of God to die Let me just pause while we're here. Let's step back and say, what am I doing here this morning? Wait, why are we doing this? Why am I talking like this? You know, maybe you're like, hey, listen, I came to church to be encouraged. You know, I'm looking for a little pick-me-up to get me through the week. You know, tell me how God's going to, you know, turn things around for me and going to make a way and give me the breakthrough I'm looking for. And that's all I was coming for. What's all this talk about sin? And I'm not try and just make you feel bad, right? That's not what Jesus meant when he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He's not just saying, you need to mourn because you're a terrible person. No, he's saying, blessed are those who mourn. God's favor is on those who mourn, who don't look away, but look into the depth of their sin. They will be comforted. Jesus is telling you, there is a way to comfort. There is a way to peace. There is a way to salvation. It's not from ignoring sin and suffering and, like, and turning away from that. It's from going through it. That's where comfort and peace and salvation is found. I'm asking you this morning to be brave, to stare sin, your sin in the face. Don't minimize it. Don't rationalize it. Don't blame shift. Don't explain it away. There's nobody else here but you, me speaking, God speaking to your heart by the Spirit. It might feel like death to you. But you have to go through death to find resurrection. So this morning I'm encouraging you to look your sin full in the face and not to look away. That it was your anger. It's your greed. It's your lust that has harmed the ones you love. Your abuse. Your affair that damaged your spouse, that wounded your children. It was your cruel words your cruel actions that have hurt your siblings, that have hurt your friends. It's your disobedience that has kept you and others from knowing God more. Do not minimize it. Don't rationalize it. Don't blame shift. Don't explain it away. Feel the full weight of your sin this morning. The evil you've inflicted on others. The abuse, the neglect, the betrayal. Until it breaks your heart. Until it brings you to tears, to mourning. 
It's more than confession I'm talking about here, right? I'm talking about an honest and sober-minded understanding of your sin and what it has caused, what it did to others, what it's done to Jesus. And trust Jesus when he says, blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. So I think the first aspect of this is blessed are those who mourn their sin. But I think there is more to this. And I think part of it is blessed are those who mourn the brokenness of this world. Blessed are those who look out at this world and mourn and weep. Again, who don't look away, who don't ignore it. But who look in the face of suffering and weep and mourn. Who mourn over the division in the world, the disease in the world, the destruction, the death. Those who lament the pain and the heartache, the hopelessness, the suicides, the wars. Life is hard, right? Life is hard. Pretending otherwise is not what God's calling us to do. To just say, hey, eat, drink, and marry, for tomorrow we die. No. Life is hard. Look suffering full in the face and mourn it. When was the last time you ever mourned over the poor, the widow, the orphan, victims of sexual abuse, prisoners of war, children sold into slavery, those who die without clean water? You know, even Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus as he saw how it crushed those around him, even though he knew it was going to raise him into life. He still wept. Jesus was characterized by mourning. Isaiah 53.3, this prophecy about Jesus says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Luke 19.41-42, As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Have you not noticed how the world is trying to steer you away from this, from looking at suffering, from looking at mourning? How the world is trying to entertain and amuse you to death, right? Just don't worry about suffering. Just watch endless YouTube videos, right? Just binge watch Netflix. Just lose yourself in entertainment. Forget about the suffering, the poor, all of them, it's just too much. Just, you just go entertain yourself. Just enjoy the spectacle of the Winter Olympics and don't think about the enslavement of the Uyghurs in the other part of China, right? Just, let's just focus on the entertainment. You know, in Luke's version of the Beatitudes, Jesus says this. He says, woe to you who laugh now. For you will mourn and weep. I mean, is he saying just not to laugh at all? I don't think that's what Jesus means here. But I think he is saying, Woe to you who are pursuing laughter and entertainment and amusement, and that's what your life is about. Turning a blind eye to the suffering and the poor and the the vulnerable and those who are hurt in this world. Woe to you who are pursuing laughter now and entertainment. You will weep, you will mourn on that day. Blessed are those who mourn, who do not hide their face from the suffering. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 9, 1, Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. 
Dare I say that maybe some of you need to weep a little more. Again, I know how countercultural all of this is, what Jesus is saying here. The world's telling you just, you know, forget suffering and mourning and just be happy, you know? Don't worry, be happy. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those who mourn. Some of you may need to weep more. Some of you, if you don't find yourself weeping or mourning as you look out at this world, maybe it's because you have developed an ungodly apathy towards the suffering of this world. You're so wrapped up maybe in entertainment, frivolity, that's a good word, that you're just pushing the heartache of the world to the side, not even trying to pay attention. Just ignore it. And maybe some of you need to sit with someone who has lost a loved one and let them pour out their heart and cry with you. Maybe some of you need to talk to someone who's got mental illness that will not go away and understand what they deal with. Maybe some of you need to go and share a meal with a homeless person or someone with a disabled child or someone who has a family member struggling with addiction and just understand how hard it is. Maybe you would benefit from visiting a third world country and learning what life is like outside the United States. Maybe your lack of tears is a sign that you've been shielding yourself from the suffering of this world. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who look their own sin in the face and feel the full weight of it. Blessed are those who look the suffering of the world in the face and don't turn away. And then lastly, I believe, blessed are those who mourn the fate of those who don't know Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn over those who have rejected Christ. If hell is real, if there is such a thing as an eternal separation from God, and blessed are those who don't just ignore it and pretend that's not a reality, but who take it seriously, who weep and mourn over those who do not know Christ. As Paul said in Philippians 3.18, For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Right? That's someone who's not just saying, you know, there's some who believe and some who don't, but someone who is brokenhearted that anyone would reject, would reject Christ. That anyone would choose to live without Jesus. Psalm 119, 136, Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. As Leonard Ravenhill put it, about a million Persons in the world die each week without Christ. Is this nothing to you? Blessed are those who do not look away, who look these hard truths in the face, who meditate on it, who feel the weight of it, who are brought to tears over it. It says they will be comforted. I've been trying to make the case this morning the case that I believe Jesus makes when he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. That God's favor and approval are on those who mourn, on those who mourn their sin, who mourn the brokenness of this world, who mourn those who are separated from God. Those who don't turn away, but are willing to see the depth of it, to be moved to tears by it. So why? Why, why are you blessed if you do that? Why not just instead... Why am I not just encouraging you to just build yourself up? Hey, guys, just build yourself up about how great you are. Show yourself compassion. Nobody's perfect. Why not just focus on the positive and ignore the negative? Why go the other direction? 
listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10. He wrote this letter to the Corinthians and he said, even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. It's an important passage to what I'm talking about this morning. There's a worldly sorrow that just leaves you feeling like a failure and a screw-up, right? That's not what I'm talking about here. A worldly sorrow that just says, I'm a failure, I've hurt everyone, and I'm a terrible person. That's not what we're talking about here. He says, that's a worldly sorrow that leads to death. But there is a godly sorrow, he says, that leads to repentance, that leads to salvation, that leaves no regret. One that sees our sin confesses it, repents of it, that finds salvation, finds forgiveness, that Jesus takes away your sin, takes away your shame, takes away your guilt, puts his Holy Spirit in you, empowers you to be different. This is another prophecy about Jesus from Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That sums it up pretty well. That's Jesus. That is our God. When we come empty, when we come broken, when we come mourning, this is who we're met with. The one who binds up the brokenhearted, comforts those who mourn, bestows a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a garment of despair. The one who forgives sins, as it says in 1 John 1, 8-9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Where else in this world are you going to find forgiveness and grace for everything you've done? Good luck finding people who will show you unconditional, unlimited grace and love for anything you've ever done to them. But that's our God. That we come to him mourning and broken, and he completely forgives us, takes away our sin, takes away our shame, takes away our guilt blesses us, comforts us. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are willing to stare their sin in the face, name it for what it is, not blame shift, not explain it away, not minimize it, who feel the full weight of it and how it's affected others and how it led to Jesus' death. They will be comforted. You will be comforted. You will experience peace. You will experience grace. You'll experience forgiveness you will know the depth of how loved you are. That the one you offended died for you because he loves you so much. You will see that your sins are paid for. That he took your punishment. He died for you. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's Jesus who had no sin taking your sin so that you might be made right with God. 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. They will find peace. They will find salvation. Their, Their sin, their shame, their guilt will be taken away. And those who mourn the brokenness of this world, good luck finding any way of finding peace in this world other than turning a blind eye and trying your best to live in the suburbs and ignore it. But you will be comforted. The only comfort is found in Christ for this broken world because on one day, on that day, when he returns, Revelation 21, 3 through 4, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. One day there will be comfort for this groaning and broken world. Romans 8, 16 to 18, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For those of you who have suffered a lot, those of you who have looked around this world and seen an incredible amount of suffering, this is good news for you. That the suffering that you've experienced and the suffering in this world is not worth comparing. It's not even going to hold a candle to the glory that will be revealed on that day. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Again, I hope you're hearing me clearly, right? This is not a word telling you, you all need to go out there and put on a long face and mope and walk around like, oh, I'm terrible. Like, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a heartfelt sorrow that comes from seeing our sin and how it's affected others and what it led to for Jesus, seeing the brokenness of this world, the heartache of those who've rejected Christ, feeling the full weight of that, walking through mourning in order to find peace and comfort, salvation, grace. We must endure the night of weeping if we're going to experience the joy that comes in the morning. Psalm 126, 5 through 6, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. We mourn our sin because that is precisely where we find the extravagant grace of God. The joy that comes from knowing his salvation. Think of Paul in Romans 7. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we mourn the brokenness of this world, the losses of those who don't know Christ, it's through that mourning that we're going to experience the amazing glory of eternal life. Be filled with a true passion to let others know about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I'm not looking this morning for you to tell me this is a good sermon. I'm looking for you to, if this is a good sermon, you will respond by taking time on your own with God. Looking your sin in the face, not minimizing, rationalizing, blame shifting, not looking away. Not saying, yeah, but he did this. Yeah, but she did this. Blessed are those who mourn, who feel the full weight of their sin, of the brokenness of this world, of the eternal fate of those who don't know Jesus. 
As you walk through mourning, you will find comfort and peace. Let me close with another portion of a prayer from the Valley of Vision. Grant me to never lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness, and the exceeding wonder of grace. Amen. Let's respond in worship.